You're listening to Dramas Over Flowers with Saya, Anisa, and Parama. Hi, I'm Parama, and this is the hundredth episode of our podcast. Welcome. Unlike other episodes, this one is not so much about dramas that we are watching or anticipating or news from the K-drama industry. This episode is all about questions we got from you guys. So it's a mailbag. We hope you enjoy this episode as much as we enjoyed answering these questions. If you want to find out ahead of time what the questions are, definitely check our show notes below. Before jumping in, we want to thank our listeners, new and old. And thanks especially to those listeners who have stayed with us from the very first episode. Those were rough waters with rougher audio. So thank you for your patience with us and your belief in us. We appreciate you guys a lot. And so, without further ado, let's get this episode started. Hi everyone, I'm Saya. I'm Anissa. And I'm Parva. And welcome to our 100th episode. It's Mailbag. Woo! Woo! <laughs> Yay! This is really exciting. It is. We made it to 100. I didn't know if we would. <laughs> and also, we have questions from our listeners. The last time we did like, did we ever do a Q&A episode? Recently, I found this episode that we did like a couple of years back where we were just introducing ourselves and our experience of Drama Land. But that was just us asking ourselves questions. Yeah, this is the first time we've actually asked people to ask questions and they have sent in questions. So this is very exciting. Thank you for sending questions. Yes, thank you so much. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And they're really good questions as well. They are really good questions. And the first question is actually one that we've had. It wasn't specifically in response to this mailbag episode, but it was a question that one of our uh, listeners sent in a while back and we just didn't have we wanted to give it like a proper answer because it's quite an in-depth question. We didn't really have a spot to put it before this. So we thought we'd start with this We one. basically decided to do this episode because of these questions. Because the questions were like so rich that we were like, we need to dedicate the better part of an episode to, to giving yeah. us a, an appropriate answer that does it justice. Usually when we get really um, wonderful questions um, through email from our listeners... It's one of us answering. It's not all three of our heads together. Like we might ask each other, how do you feel about this answer? But it's mostly one of us answering. So it's one perspective. And some of these questions really (laughs) require all three of our perspectives. So here we are. Yeah. Who wants to read the question? So the first question we have is from Dr. Chi. Thank you, Dr. Chi. It is, how did all of you learn Korean? Do you speak other languages? Do you find that knowing a non-Western language makes it easier to learn Korean? I wonder if learning Igbo, the language of my parents and people, would help me learn Korean faster. It seems like it certainly helps in learning Mandarin since they are both tonal languages. I have no experience with that. Oh my god! Is Korean a tonal language? Question mark! Exclamation! 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 Question mark! Question mark! I'm freaking out even just considering that. Also, what was the hardest part for you guys as far as learning Korean, even if you're not fluent? Now, I, Parma, will answer this first because my answer is the shortest. For me, it's mostly osmosis. I learned the letters 
because I wanted to know what the, uh, like whenever there was a hoarding on, on screen, like a shop hoarding or something written on the gate or something meaningful written in a chit between lovers. And I was like, what the heck is that? And I wanted to know exactly what was written. So I learned the letters and now I am, I have the fluency of a, not even a preschooler. What, what's like first level of a kindergarten? That's it. That's, that's my fluency. And that's my answer. <laughs> Okay, so for me, I taught myself Hangul, um, I think I was a year into watching K-dramas when I signed up for Korean classes at um, my old university, which if I, well, if I had known that Korean dramas existed back then, I would have done them while I was at uni, but um, I didn't. But it was, it was, okay, tangent. <laughs> it was so weird going back to uni 10 years after I left and being mistaken for like an undergrad. Yeah, anyway, completely different <laughs> story. So, <laughs> so before I started the class, I just wanted, because I'm a nerd, I wanted to have a little head start and I taught myself hunger before I started the class so that I wouldn't be lost in the class. And there's so many great sort of online tools that help you learn how to read the Korean alphabet, what things yeah. sound like. And so I was able to use those to to give myself a little head start. And then I took classes. Um, and the problem was, and for anyone in London, it's uh, King's College, they do, um, they do Korean classes from beginner level, but also they're not that, uh, they don't go that fast. So when I ran out of levels there, I discovered... Uh, it's subsidized by the Korean government, I believe. They have like a is that KCC UK in this Korean country? Korean Cultural Center. Yeah, um, and and they provide classes at a really really affordable um, rate, and they're very local to me. Like they're literally a bus ride away. So I was like, oh my god, <laughs> I've been here all this time and I didn't know that. Um, and when I started doing that, I think that's where I started making the most progress because they go fast, they go like really intense and deep. Um, and yeah, it was basically a classroom situation. And for me, because of dramas, like my ear was really familiar to the language. And as you're learning the language, you always relate it to all the other languages you know. And like I have, like Alhamdulillah, I have quite a, a facility for learning languages in general. So I've, at any point in my life, I'm always learning a language. And so I had come from a background of like many other languages that I'd learned. And that's like probably when I started at school, you know, started with French. Then I did like six or seven years of Latin. Um uh German did a bit of Italian I had a lot of exposure to European languages um but then also like my mother tongue is Bengali um and like lifelong exposure to Arabic and I had learned Arabic intensely um because I'd gone abroad for a year to study um Arabic really deeply so I, I you you're able to bring all of that to your any future language learning so, but all that said, <laughs> when I started Korean, the language that it was the most similar to is Bengali. And I would always find myself translating back to, like, English was not a good resort if you want to understand how Korean works. So if I 100% I, agree. Yeah, if you want to understand something, how it works grammatically in Korean, I always translate it to Bangla. Oh, yeah. And absolutely. then... 
like it it's not just that it structurally works it's like it's such a similarity that it doesn't feel coincidental even when it comes down to like words i don't remember if we've talked about this before but like you know things like how in english you don't have a distinction between cooked rice and uncooked rice and in korean you have pap and sal which is basically as bangla you know it's pap and sal <laughs> exactly it's literally the same thing wow i did not know that see i don't speak bengali so i didn't know that that's what that's i'm saying really cool. like like even like for example between urdu oh, and i have like passing comprehension of urdu even between urdu and korean there isn't that kind of similarity that there is between bangla and korean and I don't know. Is that because we're both rice-eating people? <laughs> I think it's because of our proximity. Because the more northeast you go, okay. So I, I have to put in here because it wasn't made explicit. My mother tongue is also Bengali. I also have passing fluency, familiarity with Urdu, um, and a, a few other and Indian Hindi, languages. Guess, right? Yeah, yeah. Hindi is pretty much. Uh, Urdu, yeah, my fluency Hindi in Bengali and Hindi similar. are pretty much actually uh, at the same level because I studied in a school where I was highly outnumbered by non-Bengali, primarily Hindi-speaking um, students. So my fluency there is pretty high. Mm. But and also, just to add here that like yeah. y- you're like Indian Bengali and I'm Bangladeshi Bengali, exactly. so we have slight differences. We we do have slight differences sense. in the words we use, the way our grammar works, but mostly the way we say words. So our accents, if we were speaking in our homeland Bengali, mm-hmm. would be slightly different. However, mm-hmm. the grammar structure remains the, exactly the same. And often mm-hmm. when I'm listening to uh, something in, I'm listening to a Korean dialogue. I can hear the the tonal where the question it's falls ex- the in a question. The cadence of Korean the cadence, is exactly, exactly the same as Bangla. It's exactly the same. It's oh, it's completely yeah. the same. And the thing is, I can see and even the, the phonemes are the same. Like you know things like the like the ta. You know, like you have a ta. Yeah. And there's like the, the sa and the ta and the e. All they're of those sounds. The same. Yeah. Yeah. And the thing is, I I I am not Korean fluent. I can if you make me watch a raw video. I will probably understand from context and from my little vocabulary, maybe 15 to 20 percent of what is being said. So it's not high fluency. However, when I'm listening to a Korean, like I'm watching a Korean drama and I can see usually Netflix um, subs and it's mangling the structure of mm-hmm. what is being said. Yeah. I am no longer paying attention to the subtitle. I'm paying attention to what's being actually said because I know from the way the the words fall, I can tell where the comma is and where the final question mark or exclamation mm-hmm. is. I can tell how the sentence has been structured. So I hear it in my brain in Bengali, how it would have been, yes, how that exactly. question would have been put in Bengali. Yeah. And it works like 100% it fits. Exactly. And, and like the, word because for word. That way the intent or the, the motive for structuring the sentence in that way just clicks into place and the scene mm. is richer for that. If I had to just mm. rely on the Netflix subs and had no context of how the grammar actually works, I would have missed a lot more nuance is mm. how I feel. And I, th- and I think that does make uh, Korean grammar feel more in- intuitive to me, not as an English speaker, but as a Bangla speaker. Mm. Agreed. Oh, English makes it harder. So English uh, does Dr. make Chi, it harder. <laughs> your, your, the answer to your question is like, what is it? What, what is the hardest part for us uh, when learning Korean? I mean, I don't want to answer for Sai and Anissa, but for me, it's knowing English. It's lo- having to learn <laughs> so Korean through English. <laughs> yes, and I, you know, honestly, like we keep. I mean, we've said this off air a lot, but like 
I keep returning to the idea that at a point that's the subtitles become a barrier to my understanding. And that's the point where I can no longer rely on them because they're not they're not mm. giving me the real meanings. And so yeah. I have to sort of like, you know, they're a hurdle. You have to get over them to get to the language itself. So, yeah, I have some things to say about that, too. But I just want to like quickly talk about my Korean journey as well. So for me, um, I started watching K-dramas in 2019. No, sorry. <laughs> I just skipped. Two, I just skipped. I just added 10 years. I started in 2009, like January 2009, probably. Um, and then I remember um, when Secret Garden was airing, I realized I, that was like the first drama that I went and actually like found the raw episodes and I watched them without any subtitles because it was like very cracktastic, addictive drama at the time, even though now I'm like not really a fan of that drama anymore. <laughs> but it was a very fun live watch experience um, and it was very like zeitgeisty. And so I would watch it and I realized that I was understanding like maybe 60% of what was being said. So I was like, okay, but I need to learn how to read this because I feel like that's the next sort of step. I can't just keep absorbing it through. So I learned myself how to, I taught myself how to read Korean. I, I learned Hangul. I learned the pronunciation. Um, Talk to me in Korean was uh, really great back then. It's still great now, although they've much expanded their, what they provide. Um, but yeah, so I kind of did like a few of their courses like on my own. And then when I moved back from, I was in undergrad at the time I was in Toronto in Canada. And then I moved back home to my family, where my family is in North Carolina. And at that point I found some like non-credit courses at the local community college. Um, so I think I started from like, not the introductory course, but like the second one, since I had already gotten some. Korean, but I realized when I was taking that, that like the way that you learn Korean in a classroom setting is kind of opposite to how you would learn it um, either as a native speaker or as somebody who learns it like through television and interaction, because you start with, you know, um, everything that's on the page. You start with the alphabet, you start with like grammar, all of that stuff. And then slowly over time, you build your vocabulary, you build like all these other things like cultural fluency, um, like nuance of, you know, just like things that you would learn by being exposed to the culture. Whereas if you come to it as like, you know, either as a kid being immersed, like that's a totally different experience. Obviously you have, you know, you're also developing and growing and you're, but even as somebody who's like watching TV and, and, or like, you know, being exposed to Korean people and getting it that way you get a lot of vocabulary, you get like cultural things, you get common phrases, you don't get the spelling or the, so my the hardest thing was spelling. I still struggle a lot with spelling because it's, it looks, the way it's spelled is so different to how you actually pronounce it. Um, so I still struggle. I'm like, I know a word, but I can't write it. That's me I can't spell it. I can't look it up in the dictionary. Yes. So like, what am I supposed to do? And often, like, if you look up what it means in English, you'll get a different word. So that's not helpful. Yeah. So it's, it's like, then I have to like, choose, like, try different spellings until I kind of get close enough that the well, neighbor dictionary like, now that you can just speak into it, and it will more or less land great. you on yeah. the word. Yeah, my Korean-American friends told me about that. They were like, just do neighbor speech-to-text. And I was like, thank you, that's really helpful. <laughs> so 
So yeah, so that is kind of how, and then when I did my master's program, then we had to do an East Asian language as part of our master's program. And I, um, I had learned enough by that time to be able to fulfill the, like, you have to finish up to like third year or something at the university level. And that's like way more hardcore than learning it on your own or taking <laughs> non-credit courses. That was like very, very intense and, and really hard. I had to write an essay in Korean for one of my exams so that is that was rough. <laughs> yeah that was rough it was like a three-page essay um but yeah and then in terms of knowing a non-western language so uh my parents are uh, originally from Pakistan and I learned Urdu first then I learned English but my English is much better than my Urdu at this point because you know I grew up here I was educated here um I have like a fourth grade proficiency in Urdu so I can read it <laughs> but I'm not that good at it and then I also know Punjabi. I studied French for eight years and I can read Arabic and I understand a little bit, but I don't like, I haven't like properly studied it enough to, you know, be able to speak it. Um, so I do feel like the more languages, you know, the easier it is to learn a new language because um, even though grammar is different in different languages, you kind of get used to looking at grammar and paying attention to grammar mm -hmm. and um, like the different parts of the language that as a, if you speak one language, you don't really pay attention to. Um, but it, Urdu is definitely not as similar to Korean as Beng uh, Bengali is, but there are definitely times when it would be so much easier to, to like translate into Urdu rather than to English because English, like the word order is different. Um, the idioms are very different, whereas like there are certain idioms in Korean. There's like an analog idiom. There's actually there's one like in my mind that I really wanted to uh, mention earlier, if you don't mind me saying it now. Yeah, so like, ahead. for example, in English, you know, you have putting your feet up. So let's say the Korean equivalent of that is like stretching your feet out. We have the exact same thing in Bangla. It's like relaxing is, you know, like... Yeah, and like in my dialect, we'd say it like, uh, like you just spread it out. Yeah. And that's mm. like, that's exactly the same thing. And when like, when you're trying to understand Korean idiom exactly, you you will find, like you say, Anissa, you'll find the precise analog of it in like, uh, in, in my case in Bangla and yours in Urdu. And for me, like that was one of the things that I enjoyed a lot mm -hmm. once I got over, you know, where when I got enough understanding of the language where I started to actually understand enough of the words to get like, not just um, you know, I like you, I want to eat, let's go type stuff. But, you know, where the subtitle was changing it from a Korean idiom to like an American or like an English idiom so that it would be easier to understand where like it wasn't just a literal translation. And I, when I started getting those, I was like, oh, this is so cool. Like, I think the first time I understood that, like the the idiom for like embezzling money which is literally to like eat it, it's the same in Urdu, right? So I was like, oh, and it made me feel so like familiar and close to the language. <laughs> it was really a warm feeling. There's also um, like, there's a whole bunch of like rice related ones, of course, we're rice eating people. <laughs> um, like, I don't know, um, Borma, if you uh, are able to pick this one out when you're listening. Like, you know, when you have like some elder who's like getting really angry with uh, one of the younger people and they're like, you know, whether you like make pop or juk out of it, you know, it's like whether, did, do you ever catch that one? Like juk is basically in Bangla, it is, oh, what is it called again? Uh, we call it zao. I don't know what you call it. You know, the rice porridge. It's the rice porridge. Yeah. It's where you cook the rice with a lot of water and other, uh, and ginger. 
and like we have quite a simple juke but in korean they have like a like juke is a whole kind of um family of rice porridge culture yeah, yeah. <laughs> culture. but basically you have people saying whether whether you make a, a pup out of it or whether you make duck out of it like whether you make rice cakes or whether you make like rice the eating rice yeah and you're like these like these 100 are translatable and like they mean exactly what they should when yeah. you put them into bangla but you absolutely lo- like in uh the english translations they don't and particularly in netflix they don't even bother trying to translate it they're just no. like you make a mess of it or make a I mean I would even prefer if they said making a dog's dinner of it which to me it conveys the sense of it if not the literal mm. meaning but like in Bangla it's like it's so perfect it's, it's like we, yes yeah. whether you make that like into pato uh zo it's yeah it's perfect since we're since we're talking about languages um and Korean I I think this is a good place to explain why subtitles are so bad and you guys are better place than me to explain that It's not that they're bad it's that they're limiting because language is limiting especially when they're v- the languages are very structurally different when they have like different points of origin and yeah but yeah. when i say bad i mean it's given very little scope to translate yeah. by keeping the the original meaning even remotely intact it becomes something for instance one thing i absolutely do not understand why do you have to try to translate opa There is a character asking another <laughs> character to call him Opa and how yeah. Netflix translates it is that the girl ends up calling him Sir. Sir? Sir? What? Opa has nothing to do with yeah. Sir. But it's slightly better than saying call me brother, right? <laughs> you, it doesn't have well, to be brother. Well, I think that translates a lot as just call me by my name, not oh, yeah, yeah, exactly. That. I think that's a better yeah. translation but also keep I feel like Opa. you're working too hard. Like you can just say oppa yeah exactly it's Keep also it one of those things explain the thing this used to happen with older subs right whenever they would use certain translators terms, notes yeah exactly translators yeah. notes are a heaven sent and people aren't stupid they can read vicky still does them that's definitely something that i feel yeah vicky does it but vicky is i think the reason that vicky does that is because it's essentially still fan subs you know but that's one of the things that we've lost as we move from fan subs to official you know subs from like Netflix or whatever company is is because i also like i remember reading and i can't remember the person who shared this information i apologize but there was somebody who was saying how Netflix has really strict rules for like how long their lines can be mm. so the subbers are really restricted because especially if you're translating like a figurative language of some sort you need more words to express that or it'll even be like a longer sentence that has more nuance and they'll have to sh- you know shrink it down to a shorter and simpler sentence and it's just loses a lot of the flavor of what they're saying even if it's essentially the same thing and i really felt that with the run on subtitles because the dialogue was so good in that and it was very it was flavorful it was like delicious and and the subs just kind of a lot of that was lost unfortunately like i'm watching doom now and it's uh it's not netflix but it's also you know you can see the translation choices there but it loses again some of the really rich meaning of the language yeah i just wanted to go back to what you were saying about subtitles being a barrier to understanding because obviously when you're watching a translated medium like in another language that you don't understand there's always i mean there's a limit to how fully you can understand what's happening and there and i feel like every k-drama viewer is always on a journey to understanding more and it's kind of up to you how 
far that journey takes you, right? You can learn the language and become fluent, or you can just like learn enough that you know when something is being mistranslated. Mm-hmm. Um, or And you can also just learn enough where you um, kind of are getting more from the acting itself. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, because I feel like when you really don't speak a language at all, you don't get the full emotional range of what the actor is doing in a scene um, because you're not even used to like the cadences of the language and now those work. Um, But I feel like now that I know more Korean, like at a certain point and with some shows, it's actually distracting to have subtitles that are changing it so much because when I didn't speak any Korean, I could just focus on the subtitles. And then like I would notice this with Force of Secrets too. My brain was trying to process the line in English and in Korean at the same time and because it was so complex it was just like yeah that's kind of what I mean about subtitles as a barrier is because the, the clash the registers clash exactly. because you're hearing one thing but you're reading something else and so right. you end up sort of going back and re-watching or turning off the subtitles or turning on Korean subtitles you know like yeah. Yeah. so that you can actually I think again like you say it's very individual but like f- for me once I realize there's stuff I'm missing, I can't let it go. Mm. Yep. And whereas I have, you know, I hundred like I watched um I watched that whole long German show without particularly being bothered about not actually knowing German. I knew enough because I'd learned one year of German and I was like, you know, I can still say I'm 13 years old in a perfect accent. And <laughs> That's adorable. <laughs> ich bin 13 Jahre alt. And and but like I didn't feel that need. Whereas when it came to Korean dramas, and I think we talked about this when we talked about like our K-drama origin stories, like when you like the years we spent watching uh, Japanese works, I never felt the same. I just didn't feel a need to go out and learn Japanese. But with Korean, it was literally my first drama. Like I was watching Your Beautiful, like over the course of that show, like my brain was making order of things it was recognizing grammar it was it, it had obviously sort of clicked in a completely different way that's really interesting because you know like Japanese and Korean are in their own language family like there's no other languages in that family they're unique in that way the two of them like they have very similar grammar that you know like they're very so it's very easy to learn one if you're a mm. native speaker of the other so it's interesting that like you never felt like doing it with Japanese dramas but then with Korean dramas you did yeah. Maybe because the like quality of fan subs, which is all I had when I was watching stuff, just didn't leave anything that I felt, oh, but I'm missing something. Mm. The fan subs for Japanese dramas, at least when amazing. I was watching them, were amazing. Mm. Yeah. Full of I also just notes. like the barrier to being able to read Japanese. It's not that I didn't want to, but I was just like, this is going to take me 10 years. I don't have 10 years to spend on this. I think it looks less decodable. Yeah. <laughs> but like, yeah. for example, my sister actually, um, like it, we spread languages around in the family. So she's the one who went off and learned years of Japanese and I'm the one who went off and did Korean for years. So between us, uh, and, and she's sort of starting to learn Chinese. Um, so between us, we kind of understand, like like we, you bring all of that knowledge to bear when you're trying to understand new things. And I, I find that really enjoyable. But perhaps you have to be a real hardcore language nerd for, for that. Yeah, level. and we both are. <laughs> we um, really are. So, yeah, this is like an extremely nerdy answer to your question because that's just who we are. <laughs> but then I feel like that's the kind of answer she wanted. <laughs> Probably. And on the thing about the tonal language. Oh, yeah. Um, Korean is not a tonal language, but some scholars believe that it used to be based on some evidence. 
um, like for example, there's um, two vowels that are basically pronounced mm-hmm. the same now. Yeah. But some scholars believe that they used to be tonal. Um, and some people who have learned Korean, like like old people in the older generation, they were actually taught to pronounce them slightly differently. But nowadays, nobody really does that. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's that's like the a eh sound. Yeah. Um, they say so, i and oi. Yeah. 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 So it's like a remnant in spelling that hasn't really remained in the spoken language, but uh, but it is not now a tonal language. So that's not something although, that you have to worry about. Although um, it's it's not tonal in the way Mandarin is tonal, but like um, what my teacher, who is also a professor of ling- Japanese linguistics, <laughs> what she um, sort of taught us was that it's it, yeah, it's not tonal in the way Mandarin is, but it does use tone the same way that we use tone in English. You know that like the inflections that you use for like um, you know interrogatives or declare like you know when you're making a statement of fact or when you're asking a question. So we all use tone, but the tone is not necessarily inbuilt into the language the way it is in. It's not part Mandarin. of the phoneme, right? Yeah, yeah. And the phoneme, if you're not a linguistics person, is a unit of language that changes the meaning. So, for example, in English, P and B are like different phonemes. But in Korean, there's one letter that represents a sound that's kind of in between those. And in different pronunciations of different words, it sounds like P or it sounds like B, but it's the same phoneme. Mm. And which is why you have like... This is one of the shortcuts for recognize for figuring out what people's original language, like um, first languages as well. Like if you hear how people speak English, you can tell some often make an educated guess about the language that is their first language. So, like for example, you can often pick out a, a, an Arabic speaker because of the way like their P's become B's you know mm-hmm. <laughs> and, because they don't have yeah. a P in their native language <laughs> and yes it's the same way when you hear Korean speakers when they speak English you can hear they're basically speaking Korean but it's in English if that makes sense depending on their level of yes, fluency yes, yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah that's what I meant yeah so okay that was our extremely <laughs> long answer to your pretty long question <laughs> so hopefully that answered it but you can do it it's completely it's like if you want to do it it's not as hard yeah. as you imagine it might be because like all that said it's a very sort of scientific language it's easy to make it make sense the grammar is pretty clear it has a few yeah. pronunciation rules and once you pick those up and you've probably picked up much more than you think from dramas anyway yeah. And there's a ton of good resources for learning. Mm. Like, I would recommend it's of, talk to me in Korean. It's one of the languages that has the most resources available for free to learn. Um, yes. Like, I think Japanese is one of those languages as well. But Korean certainly is. There's so much out there that's free and accessible yes. that if you want to, you can. But yes. if you're like me and you need classes, I'm sure. Um, because, I mean, you know, our, our post pandemic world <laughs> has opened up a lot of other things that might have been sort of geography bound at different times. But, you know, like all of my classes are online right now. <laughs> we have uh, my, one of my classmates is tuning in from Bulgaria. This is doable. Wow. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't love learning virtually, but when it's your only option, then it's great. Mm-hmm. So I, I have a, a, a short answer to the to the question she asked in the middle, which is whether learning Igbo would help her learn um, Korean faster. And 
I can't answer this definitively, but from my own experience of learning other languages, um, I don't think so. It's 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 a lot like maths after a point, once you have the theory down, so you're solving problems in your head. Um, when you're decoding a certain language, figuring out like a certain line, figuring out what it could mean or how you could write it. So it's more a matter of practice. It's not necessary that learning another language is going to make learning Korean easier for you. It's that learning any language would make learning languages easier for you because it's a muscle that right. you're using. Mm. Oh, that actually, can I add one last note to to answering that question as well, which is that she asks, what's the hardest part for you um, as far as learning Korean goes? For me, the hardest part is practice. It's conversation. I Like making my brain go as like fast enough to keep up with real live conversation. That's hard. And also like your brain mouth disconnect. So like one of my friends who I used to take classes with, what she said she would do is that she basically labeled everything in her room and she would constantly talk to herself in Korean. Ah. And her speak her speaking was amazing. Like my speaking in my head is really fluent, but it does not come out of my mouth. Wow. <laughs> Same. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And I also like I feel really embarrassed speaking in my like terrible That's what Korean I was going to say. Like, actually, <laughs> with Korean people because I'm like, oh my gosh, like it doesn't seem like I tried very hard. I but think I really you have did. to force yourself to go out there. Like if you have a local Korean store or something, you go there and you talk to them every day. They act like people really enjoy being talked to in their language by someone who is they not do. a native. My H-Mart though has hired all non-Korean oh. cashiers. So. <laughs> <laughs> I it's, yeah, it's very occasional that you actually get someone who's, who's actually Korean. But so. also, not just to speak to Koreans, even if... I, even if there is a line that I know I can, I can like in the privacy of my room, I can deliver it perfectly. I'm pretty sure I'm mm. getting all the sounds and stuff spot on. Yeah. I can't even say it in front of you guys. I'm so it's embarrassed. It's embarrassing, isn't it? You've just got I to. I feel yeah. more embarrassed to speak Korean in front of my Korean friends, honestly, than I do with speakers. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, it's a journey mm. and uh, you don't have to feel bad, whatever your speed yeah. is. We're just all, enjoy we're all it. On the journey. You know, it's, yeah, exactly. it's fun. But if you are embarrassed and you want to hide and just speak to yourself in a room, do that. I, I am not in support of forcing <laughs> yourself to just go yes. through embarrassing stuff because it makes you stronger. I don't think it makes you stronger. No, it just makes you embarrassed. <laughs> okay, <laughs> let's move to the next question. Okay. So the next question we have is from our lovely patron, Francis, who asks... After watching so many dramas, do you find it harder and harder to find a perfect drama? When I was a K-drama rookie, I liked all the dramas without criticizing the plots, direction, editing, acting, character development, etc. After being educated by your podcasts, I found it more and more difficult to love a drama without overanalyzing it. Is it a bad thing? No. 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 Yeah. <laughs> I'm just like caught up on her being that saying that our podcasts are educational because I never thought about them. Like yeah, that. firstly, we're not an educational podcast. We are 100% no. fan. I mean, fan that's a very high podcast. compliment, but um, I don't think we deserve it. <laughs> right. Maybe she meant she was accidentally educated by it. Like, that was not what we were trying to do, but we well, managed to. In fairness, I constantly feel educated when I took, like, like I'm learning things when I'm talking to you guys. So. I would agree with it in that sense. That's but, true. Like, yeah, bad thing, not at all. I, you know, change, like, change in the way you think about things is so natural. And I am happy to report that I'm still more than capable of enjoying a show that's like panned, barring like 
egregious line crossing, which also is a very highly individual measure. And I think it comes down to what works for you. Like, you know, what works for me can be very different to what works for others. And like, bottom line, the more dramas you watch, the more favorites you have. And K-drama is very generous. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of options to choose from. I think even if you think about this from a non-K-drama perspective, over your lifetime, you know, there are things that you love as a child and then you grow up and you watch it again and you're like oh this is terrible <laughs> for so many reasons but that doesn't invalidate your love for it when you watch and it sometimes so, you and sometimes you don't go back to stuff because you're afraid of that <laughs> yeah that's true like there are things that I watched early on in my K-drama fandom that I don't go back to because I have a pretty solid feeling that I won't have the same kind of good experience I'm like let's just leave that yeah, as a, as a memory. golden experience right exactly <laughs> yeah exactly so I think that's not there's nothing wrong with that and I also feel like the enjoyment changes so whereas there's the very giddy feeling of how you enjoy things early on um and then later on you can enjoy it for things that you you weren't like you know either like savvy enough mm -hmm. of the of the type of entertainment to really notice or things that you know because now you understand more of the language or actors or, um, that because you, you have yeah. a relationship with yeah sometimes you enjoy something more because you have a relationship with the actor so I think it's it's a different type of enjoyment. Exactly. Your your relationship with the entire medium has changed. It's mm -hmm. evolved. It's deepened. And that's always yeah. a good thing. You're uncritical in the beginning because you know so little of drama land. And whatever, like, what impresses you initially are the new things. That's what you're absorbing. Mm. It's after watching a lot of dramas, noticing themes and tropes and repeated problems and also the good stuff that you start having um, not just criticisms, but like you start appreciating certain um, meta references. You start appreciating mm -hmm. changes in the industry as it slowly comes. You would do none of that if you were not applying critical thinking to your viewing. Mm -hmm. So it's yeah, not a bad yeah. thing. Like, like would we have enjoyed, um, for example, search www so much if we hadn't <laughs> had like... 10 years of dramas with not very good female characters to compare it with. Yeah. Like, would it have been so exciting to see that? Probably not. True. Um, and the other thing that I wanted to mention was that I was going to say it's a little bit like a romantic relationship where like the first time you meet the guy, you're like very, ex well, <laughs> sometimes when you meet someone, <laughs> you're very excited <laughs> and you're in a honeymoon period. And then after years pass, you like love that person in a different mm -hmm. way. But it's it's in many ways, it's a deeper love. Like it's a mature maturation, a right? Love. Yeah. 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 And I would argue. And if it's not, then it's time to end the relationship. <laughs> or I have definitely gone through periods where, and I think, Saya, you were mentioning this, where like if you don't watch them for a couple of months and you come back, you feel rejuvenated. So mm -hmm. sometimes we just have a slump. We need to take a break. And come back to K-dramas when we're like, you know, in the mood again. Mm -hmm. I'll also answer so. the uh, first part of the question, which is after watching so many dramas, do you find it harder and harder to find a perfect drama? No, because I'm always hopeful. I really like that Dramaland does keep evolving. Um, every couple of years or so, you find a slew of fresh thinking. Uh, fresh type of yeah. writing mm. so yes I might have to take a break we all three of us have had at different stages taken taken months of breaks I don't know if you guys have noticed <laughs> but we have <laughs> and because we have uh, we come back to a new slew of upcoming dramas and suddenly we find writing that is really compelling to us and also despite how much we complain about how 
you know, uh, dull second halves can get. Oh, how bad this thing ended. We had so much expectations. The fact that Ramalan can keep making us hope with every new concept they put out there is why we are still here and we love this industry so much because they stress um, getting new concepts out there, trying out, uh, you know, new ways of writing things. It's something that keeps our expectations alive. And because the expectation is there, the hope is there, the experience of really liking a drama, even if it doesn't end perfectly, happens often enough. It's not, I I am not, I am not in a phase where I'm like, I have seen it all. It will, <laughs> I, I just don't feel the passion anymore. That would be yeah. really sad. I mean, because it's... The magic is gone. Yeah. Because it's not... No, the other thing... No, go ahead, Saya, that I have Because it's say. not just you evolving, isn't it? It's like the field also yeah. has to evolve and the, you know, the creators in that field are very aware mm. that viewers tastes and you know um desires change and, the view and that if they don't keep up with it mm-hmm. right and if they don't keep up i mean it's in their best interests to keep things fresh and and not get let them get stale because yeah. you know yeah. we've had stories for many thousands of years and we've always been interested that, in them sorry yeah. the other thing is that when you do first come into this fandom you will find you know like a huge backlog of classic and really acclaimed popular dramas i mean now all the popular dramas are not necessarily good but you can you know like you have people giving you lists of recommendations and so you can start out with like the best stuff whereas once you've been watching dramas for a while okay there may be some stuff that is good that you didn't get a chance to watch but if you like switch at least for me like i switched over to mostly watching currently airing Mm. dramas yeah and Everything that's currently airing isn't that's good. That's going to include some really <laughs> crappy stuff. Yeah. Yeah. It's still airing, so you don't know, right? Yeah. So it's not like you have this back catalog of amazing shows that have like all these reviews that you can go read and find out if you're going to mm. like it, or you know. So like, th- it is also just that like there's a ton of dramas coming out, and only a very few of them are going to be the gems. But I still think that the gems are out there, and like we do occasionally find them, mm. and we. And we're optimists. Go gaga over them. Still, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, like Stranger, we were just like raving about that a few months ago. Yeah. So uh, it happens still. Also, we don't expect any drama to be perfect. At at no point do we. We are all experienced fiction readers. <laughs> and there yes. is no such thing as a perfect story. But what we expect and hope for always is a perfect experience. And that and we drama land keeps giving us that perfect experience mm-hmm. through different genres through different scenes that they set up through a perfect exchange of dialogues that you weren't expecting to something really insightful that a character says that that just shocks you inside those mm-hmm. perfect experiences are what keeps us here though that mm-hmm. said mm-hmm. i for me personally i don't think that comes along that often i think if you get one drama like that a year mm-hmm. that's amazing like if you get one drama that just because okay there's there's love and there's being in love and like that 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 you know that absolute sort of fizzing giddy oh my god of dramas that doesn't that just naturally doesn't come along that often true so but whereas you do frequently get the dramas that Boromir you described, which is, this is great. I love this element. I love, you know, the way they've done this. And there's, like, so much enjoyment to take from, you know, many dramas at a given time. 
But the the one, like that special one, it really doesn't come along that often just anyway. Yeah. So when it does, the when it that's, does yeah. that's its own <laughs> like complete experience. And that's the one that I call the full meal, which is yeah. that it feeds you in every possible way. And you're just like, this is a high that, oh, you just, yeah. that's the high you're searching for when, with every drama that you watch. Yeah. True. So speaking of dramas that leave us on a high, the next question is from Sarah Hope, who asks, I want to know, what are some of your top favorite dramas of all time? What makes you nostalgic? What can you always go back to? What has a special spot in your heart today? I know some from listening to y'all for so long, but I'm curious what you're loving today. Uh, today, I am really, 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 really loving Doom at your service. <laughs> Caveat, it's ongoing and we we never know so but i think i think this may be one of them um but before this i i think what really zinged my heart in recent years was probably search www and um there was rookie and there is another one that i can't think of right now but let the others answer and i'll come back to it <laughs> when you say rookie do you mean rookie historian go ahead yes Rookies don't go. Okay, there's another really bad rookie, so I just oh, wanted that to clarify that. Oh, that does not that. exist in my brain. <laughs> okay, <laughs> but it exists in some other people's brains. So since not everyone has access to your brain the way we do, <laughs> the Shinsek Young rookie. Okay. Also, uh, what makes me nostalgic? Actually, early uh, 2010s makes me nostalgic. Lots of dramas of that period were. I mean, it, it's when I started watching, right? So everything from City Hunter, Queen In Huntsman, Nine, um, uh, The Good Doctor. No, not The Good Doctor. The Great Doctor. Faith. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah, Faith. Uh, even Secret Garden, for that matter. Secret, the Ji Sung one, mm. um, which I recently <laughs> rewatched totally out of nostalgia. And we were talking about problematic stuff that we still watch. Well, there is there, that one, but... Damn, such a good watch. <laughs> and there are so, so many more. I even went back. Oh, I, I recently re- started watching um, Legend of the Blue Sea. We make fun of that so much. I never finished watching it. I'm, I'm trying to finish it this time around. Um, yeah, so nostalgia. Early 2010s. I, I sometimes go back to it because those tropes were what pulled me in. And even though there was so much garbage and average stuff going coming out there, that I consumed because I thought it was going to be just as amazing as the ones that brought me in. It's, it's, there are certain tropes that have become passe, but they have a place in my heart. And sometimes because I don't see them that often um, in current dramas anymore, I go back and watch stupid (laughs) tropey stuff. (laughs) That's nostalgia. So I've talked about Coffee Prince a lot. So I'm not going to talk about that because I feel like that's become my brand on here. Um, and I've also talked about me saying a few times. That's still one of my you know top favorite dramas of all time. But I just wanted to talk about some that I haven't brought up as much, which are like Shining Inheritance. Um, that one is a classic family drama that I don't really get to see talked about very much now. I don't know if it's because it's like hard to find um, or if it's just like too old. But that one, I think I've seen like three or four times. It's so good. It's like. Somebody was asking on Twitter for like a not like a a love triangle where it's like actually hard because you're rooting for both guys. And that one's a great one. And I was saying like, it's a really good one. And like the romance isn't even the strongest top three things about the drama. It's, you know, so 
That one's a really good one. That's like a good classic. And I liked how you described um, it that the love triangle was logical. <laughs> Which it is was rare. logical. Yeah. Yeah. And it's got, you know, it's got Isungi, Beisubin, Han Hyoju. Um, those three are great. The, one of the best grandmothers to ever grace the K drama scene screen. It was great. Um, and then City Hall. I know we trashed Kim and Suk a lot on this podcast, or not trash, but we have many issues with her. Let's say it that way. But she but also has written many of our favorite dramas. So, yeah, yeah City <laughs> Hall is still on my like one of my best top dramas. And like I didn't mention this, you know, we did the 2010s retrospective of the on our blog, and we'll link it in the description. And we talked about the stuff that we really loved from the 2010s, but it didn't include obviously, you know, the 2000s dramas, some of which are really close to our hearts. And City Hall is from 2009, and it's just like the best drama that she's ever written. Um, and I'm sad that she decided after that that she was never going to do something like that again <laughs> because it's a really amazing story where the female lead and the male lead kind of have like parallel journeys instead of being one of those stories that she writes, which is like all about the male lead and the late woman is like a supporting character. It's a really great um, depiction of politics, which I know like a lot of people weren't into that part, but I thought that was really great. Um, it's like a very mature and beautiful romance. The characters are great. It's hilarious. So that one is a high recommendation for me if you can find it. Um, shout out Flower Boy Band. Mm. Best music <laughs> drama of all time. Still has nothing has surpassed it in 10 years. Um, yeah, those are a few of mine. You know, I find it so hard to pick a favorite. I'm like, don't make me pick. Like I said a little bit earlier, the more dramas you watch, the more favorites you have. So it's like the whole desert island drama mentality. I'm like, no, sorry, I'm just going to go drown myself in the sea of faves. That's it. Like, that's it. Yeah, I agree with that. <laughs> well, I pick one or two. That's unfair you know, it's and bad. Like, you know, like once you hit your type, like then your drama favorites, they become like this constellation. It's like these dramas that add exactly. on to themselves. And yes. like you figure out the the thing that really, really works for you. And then you end up with like little bunches of dramas that are like your perfect dramas. <laughs> like until I started K-drama, because see, K-drama is great in the way that they really do these genre mashups. Like they blend genres in a way that like Western TV doesn't necessarily do. Mm -hmm. And so like you can have your cake and eat it in K-dramas. <laughs> and yeah, picking one favorite is so hard, but like, I have my types and, you know, I'm yeah. sure everyone Hard at this you. point has heard me talk about thrillers. But like... Do you really? <laughs> but like, okay, until... Okay, so give us some names. <laughs> until I started K-drama, did I even know that an action thriller romance was a thing? Like, <laughs> City Hunter, when I first watched it, it was like indescribable. Like the experience of these elements in the same space. Like who... Whose idea was that? And why did it take me this long to discover this was a thing? Like, you know, okay. And then like City Hunter was like my top drama for a long time. Then it was toppled by Healer, but not because it was bad, just because Healer was like Healer. And then it's, I also have this whole recency effect thing. So the more recent something is, the higher up it is in my in my memory. Mm. But also, like, lately I've been re-watching a lot. And basically since my gateway drama, since You're Beautiful, which I watched back to back three times before I realized there were actually more dramas out there, I am <laughs> not really a rewatcher. 
there's too much out there that I need to watch for the first time. I didn't have time to watch things again. And like when I watch stuff, I don't put it on in the background. I have to like I'm fully it's just me and the drama. There's nothing else going on when I'm watching dramas, which is why I don't casually watch stuff. Everything I watch is like this deep investment of time. So, okay. Um, Yeah, action thriller romances. But then also plain good old action thrillers, which like when done right are so good. Like Two Weeks is a drama I can just keep on watching. And that's a drama I've rewatched. Like when I think about my favorites, I realize that they're all dramas that I've ended up rewatching. I recently rewatched God's Gift, 14 Days, which again, we've talked about on previous episodes about, you know, by this point, it shouldn't be a spoiler to say that the ending of that show was very controversial. But I rewatched it and it was still such a ride. And also I came to understand the ending in a way that I couldn't understand it the first time because, you know, now I have some emotional distance and I had time to get used to it and I'm able to see it in a different way. So like, you know, rewatching has its virtues. Um, Temperature of Love, I rewatched the first few episodes recently and those, the, like the first four episodes, um, four in the half four hours of that show um I've probably rewatched those multiple times already but it's been a few years since I have so I rewatched them again recently when I was recommending it to someone just to check if it was still good oh man it was still good and like I will stand (laughs) by that drama to the end like I don't care what people say about that and like this is like the dramas that I love the most often do turn out to be the dramas that other people are like "Mm, yeah this part was problematic that part was problematic and you're like okay because for you you're experiencing the drama in a different way and through a different sort of uh, collection of experiences but like for me temperature of love is like it okay when it comes to romance um not just romance but like characters and human people and you know love is easy and relationships are hard and I hear your voice um Mm. oh yeah now you're mentioning all of these and I want to add like five more things I I want to add my favorites from early early viewing but which I didn't like I I did exactly what Queen and Huntsman yeah you watched that drama so many times and I remember you were on a solid streak of watching it for like a year I was talking about nostalgia (laughs) but not like all-time favorites so so, like nostalgia wise there's one drama that comes to mind when you say nostalgia and I don't really have a logical reason for it but like Delightful Girl Chunyang there's just something about that drama which is so I don't know. That's just, uh, it makes me feel you feelings. Know, I have nostalgia for the golden age of the Hong sisters. Yes, I think I, it is. It's a Hong, Hong really, sisters no- yeah, nostalgia. Yeah. Because for me, it was, uh, I think the first one of theirs I watched was um, Couple of Fantasy or a Fantasy Couple, which was a remake of the Goldie Hawn, Kurt Russell movie Overboard from the 80s, which was like a nonstop. I would watch that whenever it came on cable. <laughs> like, I love that movie so much. It's the one where she like she's a rich heiress and she's a terrible person <laughs> and she treats him like crap. He comes to like fix her closet or something on her yacht and then she falls overboard and loses her memory. And so like her and her husband abandons her because she's a her- tor- terrible person. <laughs> so he comes in and he's like, yeah, that's my wife. And so she goes home and he like and she like has to like watch his three kids. And I mean, it's from the 80s. Like, obviously, there's things that are not mm. great about it. But it's so funny. Like, they have such great chemistry. So anyway. So that when I saw that was the remake of Overboard, I was like, I am watching this, of course. <laughs> and it just has that like quality that the Hong Sisters dramas used to have. 
back then that like they kind of lost yeah that's i think i'm like nostalgic for that yeah era, like i'm thinking my like girl as well like th- there was a particular quality to early uh, and best hung sisters works that i don't think have been replicated since no. and i don't know if that's because like there isn't an appetite for it anymore or because there's just no other writer who does it writers who do it how they did it they they don't even do it how they yeah, do exactly, it anymore. Exactly. Yeah. But part of the appeal, I think, was there are a lot of those dynamics and tropes that they somehow managed to make not completely unhealthy. But somehow mm-hmm. those same tropes done today are glaringly unhealthy and it's not fun to watch. They're infu- they're, I'm trying to like pin it down. They're infused with a kind of warmth and charm yeah that might even been down to the casting because it's i mean a lot of it would have been like i remember when i first watched my girlfriend as a gumiho and i wasn't taking it like i wasn't impressed by isungi in that but when i think oh, about isungi now you're like yeah. because you have a whole history now with those actors and mm. with those um you know I, names i think also they need to be paired with a director who understands them and who can give their work that charm mm. and lightness because like you say a lot of this when played straight is a ridiculous and b like super problematic mm. and upsetting so you do have to you know, the tone really matters. Oh, my gosh. I will never remember uh, Ijunki's hair in My Girl. <laughs> Blowing oh, in, the, in the wind on Jeju Island. Oh, my gosh. Sorry. That just, like, came back to me when I was thinking about tone and yeah. visuals and directing. Anyway, but, that's but what I'm But before moving for. on, I have to, of course, I mean, again, it's not, like, um, a secret or a great revelation, but Signal really just... I think it's at the crown of my list and it has been for quite some time. For me, I shift me saying and signal back and forth from one and two. Like it depends on my mood that day. Mm. I can't decide. <laughs> my all time favorite is probably sadly still you're beautiful <laughs> because it just has this weirdly special place in my heart I can rewatch it that so many times no, the thing with you're beautiful is that I it's beyond rank for me yeah. your first is your first there's like you don't rank it with the I others I feel like but, that about copy yeah. it's not yeah. just because it's first I mean yeah you're absolutely right the first thing I'm pretty sure there's going to be like a generation of K-drama watches 10 years from now still raving about uh, crash landing on you yes. <laughs> that nothing will ever top it um, mm. but that, but that's because crash landing on you is that kind of drama. It's worth keeping on top of a lot of other things you watch later on. Your beautiful happens to be one of those excellent dramas. It's not just because it was the first, but because it was such a really good drama that was mm. the first, you know, yeah. much like Coffee Prince. Yeah. And I've heard of people who start out with something that isn't very good. Yeah. And then, like, some of them leave and they're like, this isn't really for me. And then maybe they come back, like, a few years later and they watch something else that, like, does draw them in. And so then this time, it's the time where they fall in love with Korean drama. So the first one has to be good for you to, you know, really be sucked in. Can I add one more really underrated drama, which is both nostalgic and an excellent drama and has been... I I think it was ahead of its time or perhaps... 
it, it would fit in really well with dramas like you, you know Search WW and, and your favorites, your women centric favorites, and that's uh, mm. Dalja Spring, and that was like a two thousand and seven yes, drama, right. I think. So true. Like, again, oh iconic, one of my absolute favorites. It's like um, you know, it's a Nuna romance with like Cherin and uh, Yimingi, and it's just is there's nothing that drama doesn't do anything wrong. Everything about it is absolutely it's wonderful. Really ahead of its yeah. time. Yeah, should I have to rewatch it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm in a rewatch spin right now. I'm watching a bunch yeah. of dramas. And yeah, this fits my mood exactly. I just finished uh, rewatching. What was I watching? Uh, Biscuit Teacher, Star Candy. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so yeah. I this, love that one yeah. so this much. That's a nostalgic um, favorite for me too. Yeah, and somehow you read the synopsis and you're like, oh my God, this is going to be so problematic. And it's not. It's not. It's really not. <laughs> it's really not. Except well, it also it's is. It's problematic it's, it's still subjective though, but like... Yeah. I yeah. mean, it is still kind of problematic, but the the funny thing is that the problematic relationship is actually the age-appropriate romance. Agreed. In that so yes. That wet tissue man. That one is creepy as yeah. hell, yeah. <laughs> I just called and him the, the wet tissue man. the one she has with her student is weirdly not creepy at all, which... Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, I would never, I don't think I would ever start watching a teacher student romance now. But. I have a slight digression here because this is something that occurred to me recently. Anissa and I had a conversation in one of our previous episodes about age of like the Nuna romance where the, the younger, the younger man is school aged almost or like just graduating out of school and the older woman oh, is in, in her mid or, yeah, or uh, mm-hmm. mid or late twenties. And I was uncomfortable with that. And I was but but somehow it still works. Like as Anissa pointed out, Star Candy is just like it's beyond reproach, pretty much. But like how? Also, also high school King of Savvy. I I I mm, have to yeah. admit, with Anissa. yeah, I adore that drama. Those two are really, really, really. <laughs> and good. then you get I think high school mm. King of Savvy is on my all-time favorite that, list. Yeah, kind of. It's on my list too. And also, I hear your voice. So how do these things work? Mm. And it and it occurs to me that you know the thing people always complain about are Korean dramas. Oh. The, the kiss, they are not, they're not even kissing. It's barely touching. They don't, basically the, that lack of overt sexual um, mm. contact between people who are interested in each other somehow has created this overall environment where this is possible. So basically, what they present to you is people who are emotional equals. Yeah, exactly. Like they, you can imagine them not being intimate with each other till everybody is properly full-aged and grown. You can imagine mm. them having that restraint and respect for each other. Because you, they don't approach each other in this sort of, in, a, in a sexual way. Because yeah. for them, the things they connect on are, like, not physical things. They're, like, they get each other. They have an understanding of each other that's rooted in, like, their, their emotional maturity levels and that like in I Hear Your Voice for example that relationship is yes he is young and she is old uh older (laughs) (laughs) but but you can understand why they are connected why they can connect with each other and also I think it's important that they acknowledge that the age is a problem and Mm -hmm. that it's a thing that they themselves come to terms with and it is very much about execution and about intent. And, Absolutely. and it's also like part of like why I really, really hate Flower Boy Remunship is because that is the absolute toxification of it. Yeah, yeah, the absolute worst way. Agreed. And like I hate it for that reason. It's right. Because ugh. the drama is always saying something mm. about 
the, the relationship. It's not just portraying, like there's no neutral portrayal. Like we talked about this with Backstreet Rookie too, right? So you could have the exact same relationship and depending on the way it's written, the tone of the drama, the gaze of the drama, mm. the the message of the drama, because I mean, we don't like preachy things, but there's always some kind of message, mm. right? It can be a totally, it can be a 180 flip from whether it's like hugely problematic or if it's like really nuanced and beautifully done and, you know, and that's sort of why I'm curious about the new Soyeonjin drama, basically. I want to see how they're going to do this, even though it's highly problematic. What new Soyeonjin drama? Which one is um, this? She's a law professor and she falls in love with her student. There are two new ones. Actually, but I that's have to say, one. just hearing that, I feel so icked out. I don't like it. Yeah. So, yeah. What was the original question? I completely forgot. <laughs> uh, favorite uh, dramas? Was that it? One more thing to that is that it's not a specific drama, but what really gets me in a drama is like the writing. That will be mm-hmm. the thing that catches me. Mm. I think we all agree on that one. The next question is again from Dr. Chi, and she asks, do particular types of shows come out during certain times of the year? For example, are there more romantic shows in the holiday season? Are they spread throughout the year? Do thrillers tend to come out in the fall? What do you guys think? <laughs> I mean, I don't think that there is like a particular time the way that, for example, like horror movies come out in the summer, you know, in the in the US. But like there is like an autumn sentimental, like an how do I print? How do I translate this? Like an, there's like a what is so-called like autumn sentimentality or like um, melancholy that people talk about in Korean culture. So I do feel like those types of dramas that have like that quote unquote autumn sensibility sometimes tend to come out in the fall. Like, you know, like really like contemplative melodramas or that kind of thing. I do also notice that I don't think that this is a thing that only happens in the spring because romances come like year round. But whenever a romance comes in the spring, there's a lot of cherry blossoms. I mean, like they take full advantage of whatever season Mm. they're in to kind of give a good background and beautiful visuals. There'll be first snow, right? Which is so important to uh, Chosarang. (laughs) Right, exactly. So like, it's not that one season is the one. I don't think like, I don't think there's a season that thrillers come out. I might be wrong, but in my experience. But, Though like drama releases don't have a discernible seasonal pattern necessarily, they do have trends and those are broader than seasonal patterns. That will be like, yes. you know, one person has made a robot drama. Now there are 12 robot dramas. <laughs> Time travel. It goes in cycles of about two or yeah. three years. Parallel yeah. worlds. Yeah. We just had that one recently, didn't we? Yeah. And yeah, uh, AI, we had that as well. So, yeah, trends, but also trends have a way of mutating because they cross genres. I mean, if if you start in a parallel world with King Eternal Monarch, then you go into a parallel world in a thriller. What was the next thriller that came out? Was it a thriller like Alice? No, no, not not Alice. Um, You had you had two uh, parallel world things that came out. One was, I think, Familiar Wife. Oh, the um, there was one that we didn't watch. Welcome to Life. Welcome to Life was a little sooner. There was one that came out, yeah, about... Uh, I know which one it is, but I can't think of it right now. None oh of us God, watched Missing... Missing... It had the word missing in it, I think. Oh, yeah, that one. I also can't remember the title. Yeah, but they, they belong to different genres, is what I'm saying. 
as soon as they notice that there is a trend that there is a concept idea that that is just working it's with the audience it's yeah. marketable it's not necessarily going to be oh a slew of fantasy romances after that no it some of them might be uh, thrillers some of them might be slice mm-hmm. of life they, they'll just use that and and then sprinkle it across genres once you've established that there's an audience for it um you know it can be repeated So yeah. because landing yeah. on a pattern is important because if the pattern is replicable then you know marketability big deal exactly. and also like um trends also have a way of, of sort of persisting so even that's why even though we had that one period where there were just everything was time travel we are still you still get sort of this not stutterings but there'll be like a hiccup every so often that brings out a time travel thriller <laughs> yeah. because like you know there's that it's a thing that can be done and yeah. if you know if you have another take on it you know godspeed k-dramas have also diversified a lot in genre over the last 10 15 years mm-hmm. so whereas before there was less of a variety in what kind of stories were told a lot of them would be like these family melodramas romances in like the early 90s for example and then you know uh, i think joseon x-files was the first really like Actual science fiction yeah yeah that came out and it wasn't super uh you know popular but it was very critically acclaimed mm-hmm. and slowly over the years like instead of everything just being sort of in one box now we have like many boxes mm-hmm. right and there's a lot of overlap and crisscrossing between those but still there has become like an emergence of like actual different mm. genres whereas before everything was just mixed into one mm. one container i also want to point out that we love hero we love city hunter but hero was made possible by city hunter true absolutely true yes it kind of proved that yes. there was a market for it scott we talked about sky castle yes and like after sky castle's success we started getting all these um shows about like uh, middle-aged people played by really amazing veteran actors who all live in the same apartment complex mm-hmm. and there's intrigue and they're like super rich and they have like you know inter-family drama. Yeah. I mean that was definitely because of Star Trek. Absolutely. Yeah. Because before that it used to be primarily weekend dramas. Now Mugjump became prime time mainstream. <laughs> yeah. Yes, exactly. Exactly. No, no, it's always been mainstream. And, and yeah, prime time is right. Prestige. Yeah. yeah. So, so. <laughs> that's our long answer. <laughs> As usual, I don't think we're capable of giving a short answer. <laughs> Should we go into the next question? Yeah. Okay, so the next question is from our friend Just Me, who says, "Hey friends, hey Just Me. Uh, my question for you is, if you could write or direct the perfect K-drama, what would it be? What actors would you hire?" This would be fun to hear. <laughs> Are you guys ready with your answers? I have a non-answer, so you guys a, go I ahead. I have a I have a non-answer too, so I'll just I'll just go with that because I wait for Dramaland to surprise me with casting because often right? <laughs> I think yes. that hey these two people could never work and mm. somehow the story makes them work together so yeah it's zero i have oh, zero cast there's so many people that you can't necessarily like um hold in your head all of the possible pairings pretty much yeah and like funny because yeah. i have an answer yes, and you yes. guys don't no i'm ready <laughs> i i totally have something to say but i want to hear your real answer your actual proper My- good answer My answer is a contract marriage rom-com written by Park Yeon-sun that stars Park Jin-ju and Lee Kwang-soo ah, as the male as the male female lead drama. with Lee Seok <laughs> as the second lead. I just want that. This Please make so it. Ha- I've been like, yeah, that's my uh that's yeah. really I I've, I've been wanting them to be like co-leads in a rom-com but then like I've all just added like a whole bunch of other things that I want and just like <laughs> 
put it together. So um, is this going to be a fanfic then? I think that no, I just want to <laughs> see it as a drama. <laughs> oh man, I would read that fanfic if you wrote it. <laughs> I okay. kind of realized that one of my okay, if I had to have a dream casting, one of them actually already happened, which was Lee Jong Suk and um, Park Shin Hye in Pinocchio. The moment I saw these two actors, Park Shin Hye in You're Beautiful and Lee Jong Suk in I Hear Your Voice, something about the two in separate dramas just made mm. me really want to see them together. And in a few years, that happened, and I was just I love Pinocchio. I think that was perfect. Mm. Yeah. And you know, <laughs> I think for both of them, that was their best pairing as well, like romantic pairing. It, it really worked. I agree. Yeah. Somehow they seemed as if both of them seemed equal in mm. in age, in their capabilities as actors and just how their characters were positioned against each other. Mm. So. Yeah. Yeah, it was very well matched. Yeah. So, Saya, you were going <laughs> to say something earlier, right? I, I was. So... I feel like I'd be letting you guys down if I didn't pick you, Singer. So let's take it from there. <laughs> so one, I really, really would love to see you, Singer, in an action thriller. Because he doesn't do action and he needs to. Like, he's done The Detective, so I've seen that. And now I'm ready for him to be an action thriller hero. So <laughs> that's one. And also, like, you know, because we're watching Doom right now, and I guess, so that's reminded me that Pug Boyong exists. Pug Boyong Yusunga, that would be a really good pairing for me. I don't know if it will work. Have they work. never done anything? Haven't they done something Have together they? Before? I don't recall. You're, maybe you're thinking of Park Shin-e. Yeah, you're thinking of Park Shin-e. Yeah. <laughs> I am thinking of Park Shin-e. Yeah. <laughs> and Lee Jung-gi and Lee Bo-young. I want to see that. And, um, okay, so, like, I know, Anissa, you picked, like, one of your favorite tropes. So one of my favorite, like, all-time will always win with me. Oh, this is one of my favorite dramas that everybody says is rubbish, which is um, Hwarang, which I adore. So I would love, like, a Sagak Warrior School with all of those young actors, like, you know, Yo Jingu, Park Young-shik, who's already obviously done it in Hwarang, Yu Sung-ho, who's done millions of Sagak, Jang Dong-yoon, Lee Do-yoon. Just take all of your puppy actors and stick them in Sagak Warrior School. <laughs> like... Hwarang as a yes. franchise, a menagerie of puppies, you know, <laughs> or, or, or the female version, like, you know, people like uh, Lee Se-young, Park Bo-young, uh, <gasps> Se-jung, Lee Ju-young, like, just I would pick watch that. Park Jin-ju, oh my god, she would be so oh. good in that. Shin he yeah. uh, <laughs> basically, I just want to stick them all in the same drama. She should be the queen in hiding. How amazing <laughs> would that be? That would be amazing. Uh, yeah. So, that's, that's so me. Shin can be, like, their mentor. No, Shin Hye-san is the queen in hiding. She's hiding yeah, her identity. She's like Park Young-shik, yeah. Oh, Park <laughs> Young-shik, Shin Hye-san. That is a pairing I would like to see. Wow, yeah, yeah. actually, you're right. That would... Yeah. You see, the thing with Park Young-shik is that... I know he, like he's had plenty of lead roles, but I still think that he's underrated. Mm. Um, like, he's so much better than merely an idol actor, and he's like... Uh, his Huarang role is like his career-defining one for me. I think even when he does me. really do a good job in a role, he's so pretty that it yes, always ends up yes, being about his visuals exactly. or his chemistry with the actress yeah. instead of being about his acting. Exactly. But his acting is really, really good. Exactly. And yeah, it doesn't yeah. get the praise it deserves because yeah. of his face. Yeah. I think <laughs> I think that is what he was trying to prove when he took Suits. But Suits was the wrong drama but, for it. Yeah, Suits wasn't a good show. Yeah. He was good in yeah. it, but Suits yeah, yeah. wasn't a good show. So that sort of drags everybody down. 
So that's our that's our dream casting and and writers and all of that. Our dream dramas. And then we have one last very special question, which is in a voice note. We have a question from K Fangirl of the Fangirl Verdict. And she sent us a voice note, so we're going to play that here and then we're going to answer her question. Hi ladies, this is K Fangirl from the Fangirl Verdict, and I have a question. Basically, I got to know of the three of you through your work as writers on Drama Beans, and I'm curious to know why you chose podcasting as your main mode of creating content in the fandom when you guys first established yourself as writers and not podcasters. Thank you for considering my question. Thank you for asking. That's such yes. a great question. And I feel a fangirl moment. I feel like we need a whole episode for this, but obviously we aren't going to do that. <laughs> so part of it was just that I became friends with these two broads right around the time when they were thinking of starting a podcast. And I had just gone through like this period of like six months where I discovered that I love podcasting as a medium and I wanted to have my own podcast, but I didn't have anyone to do it with. So it was really, really serendipitous and it was destiny and fate and Umyong and all of that stuff. Um, I honestly like I feel like this is a faded friendship and it's like one of the great friendships of my life, not to get all sappy. But apart from that, I think I don't know, like I always have a I always had a really strong identity about myself as a writer. And I knew from like age four that I was going to be a writer. And that's been like my dream my whole life. Um, But I realized through this that I actually really enjoy talking and interviewing people and discussions like I really really love that and so I think yeah it was like a happy accident I guess in a way yeah it's it's like Anissa says but also I think all three of us Anissa and Saya are both much stronger writers than I am but I always used to see myself as a writer first because I was an introvert still an introvert (laughs) but um what I had was an urge towards performance but performance in a way that does not put me on stage and the thing about podcasting is especially our format of podcasting which is conversational well there are two things the first is that because we are conversing and we are conversing in real time none of this is prepared or scripted we are discovering what each other is thinking as the episode progresses and the three of us are different enough that we are continuously surprising each other and we play off each other's ideas really well so this is like this is like um what do you call brainstorming in in real time um like if i had to write something down i would be alone in my head but with these two it's like i can open that up and and get a few different points and my own ideas function better when i'm talking to them And that's like a huge benefit of podcasting that I wasn't expecting that I learned when we started. And the second thing is that performance element. I I really like speaking into a mic. I like listening to my voice after it's up um, and published. And it has the (laughs) same effect on my brain. (laughs) It has the same effect on my brain that um, reading my writing, my published writing does. It's a, a, a... a, a thing that it's a produced it's a thing that I produced it's a thing that I created and there is creativity that goes into these podcast episodes it might not seem that way but it does and mm. the final product gives me such a thrill and my own writing also gives me that thrill so I don't <laughs> know how to make this thing connect better 
<laughs> but it just works. No, I agree with the performance thing as well. I have to, yeah. I wanted to be an actress when I was a little kid too. Did I mention that to you guys? Yeah, we talked about that the other day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh, you know, I listen to you guys and like the more I podcast, the less suited to it I think I am. And <gasps> No, what are you talking about? You're so well, good. Because I still like prime I am still a writer. Like writing is still my natural medium. And like, especially like the way I write, which is nothing is um suitable for human consumption at the first draft. Nothing I write is. Like I the time that it takes me to it's it's not refining my writing it's refining my thoughts and what podcasting does is that it forces you to sort of um um vomit out those thoughts uh, in their first draft form so in the sense that like it's good for me to get over that part of my perfectionism so that I accept that it's good for me to do that it's good for me to make mistakes it's good for me to let those mistakes and flubs be preserved in amber for however long the internet will last <laughs> and to not keep overthinking everything I say like whenever I open my mouth so in that sense I actually have find I've found the uh change of format like pod, a podcast as a product isn't it's a little harder for me than like it's harder for me like to ex accept it like to be happy 100% happy with it the way I can be with writing like you know I, I send you guys my writing all the time and I'll be like you know when I've gotten it to that perfect point I'm like I'm happy for this to go into the world but I don't necessarily get that when it comes to podcasts unless I'm editing obviously <laughs> and like <laughs> um, I don't know if our listeners know this, but like when we were first sort of like talking about learning to edit and stuff, Borma's great fear was that I would just edit myself out of the episode completely. And she's not wrong in that sense. Um, so I also like when I'm editing, I have to just like relax and be like, okay, do not edit yourself out completely. Okay, you will survive not being uh, like the perfect um, presenter or whatever. So mm. there's all of that. Um, but also, like, podcasting at the very beginning, like, if you consider that our very first podcast was literally the first time Boram and I spoke, and, like, Anissa and I, we had actually spoken before um, before we had podcasted. So that was... No, I don't think we had. No, we did. We, uh, we, we had a video call. Do you remember the first, like, when we first got to know each other? Because you were not a texter and you're like, you know, text isn't my, like, comfortable medium. We had a long, like, uh, a get to know each other kind of call. And that might have been even before um, I introduced you to Boroma. And so we had that. And do you remember when I forwarded you a string of emails, uh, like, way back? I don't back? remember this video call oh, at really? all. Oh, that's oh, good. What? <laughs> but, but, like, what? what? Do you remember when... Am I just like a, an amnesiac figure on my heroine? Like, what, what is happening? I don't remember. But like, after I'd met you and like, I went back to like my email group, which Boroma uh, and I were uh, in at that time. And I was like, oh, so I made friends with uh, this other writer and her name is Anissa and I think she's all right. <laughs> I probably was more effusive than that. Um, and then like, we had cause to revisit those emails quite recently and I forwarded you a few mm. and you're like, this was, it's so strange to see you talking to them at that time that I, d I didn't know any of them because like 
by this time I've introduced you guys to each other. So like we have other mutual friends by now. So that was that was all of that. So basically my point with that is that at first it was really natural. Like we had years of pent up conversations to get through. And like emails had become laborious in the sense that it slows everything down, almost artificially protracts things. And when we talked, talked, man, we couldn't burn through those words fast enough. We had so much to share. So like... In that sense, it's a, it's still a challenge because if you leave us alone without a clock, we always have more we want to talk about. But that's also like I feel like our podcasting also reflects the stage of our friendship, maybe. And the dynamics of the stages of friendship are sort of always a little bit not distorted, but they're changed by them like being carried out online as opposed to how you yeah. would carry out a, an RL friendship. Like how in real life you meet people casually, you hang out, you you know you've reached like the point when you can just be silent together and like it's an easy silence. We don't have that because like our time is such a premium that to to just be silent together is not what you want to do when you meet, right? It's it's not that kind of we're always being silent alone, yeah. <laughs> you know, on yeah. text. You know? So we're, like yeah, we're always in that state of never having quite enough time and. Yeah, there's a lot of parallels between how our friendship has developed and how the podcast has developed. So in that sense, it's been amazing. But if you're talking about the podcast as a product, I I, I have I still kind of struggle with that. That's not talking mm. is not my favorite medium. I, I love to talk to my friends, but I don't necessarily want that to sort of be a thing that people can keep coming back to because I revise my thoughts a lot. I'll say something the first time and then like five minutes or, you know, a week later, I will no longer think what I thought then because I've thought about it since then. And now I have new thoughts and you can't go back and correct it. You don't you can't update it. You, you know, yeah. that's a that's a thing that you sort of have to deal with. There's lots of different, like you deal with a different set of challenges in the audio form that you don't in the written form. I have two thoughts right now from what you said. The first is, you're absolutely right. The unedited um, conversational speech, that's actually why I'm attracted to podcasting. I mean, it's not unedited when it goes out. If our unedited stuff went out, it would probably be like... <laughs> we wouldn't have any listeners. We wouldn't have any listeners. No. <laughs> you guys would These all girls leave us. don't know what they're doing. <laughs> I don't have time for this faffery. Exactly. Get out. <laughs> so it is edited. But as you said, the, the unedited part is that we can't go over what we have said and correct and revise and change stuff. Because sometimes when you read... It, like you've written something and then you go back and read it in a couple of days time and you realize well, this made absolutely no logical sense. This comes after this. No, that's what am I saying? I need to rewrite this part. You can't do that with a podcast. Mm -hmm. This is very true. But two things. First is that I like that. I like that each episode is a time capsule. At that point, this is this was my intense reaction to something that had happened. This is how I thought. So when I go back and listen to it and I might disagree with it now, and future episodes reflect that change in my opinion. I really like that this is a dynamic living thing and it is a historical record of me changing as a person. Now, of course, all our listeners are not going to be on that journey, but I like it. I suppose it's because while I do, what I said that performance was something that attracted me in this live recording situation, um, it's also the fact that I podcast because of our friendship. Like the podcast would not have lasted as long as it does if I didn't find you guys 
amazingly fascinating to talk to. And it's just, it's not just you guys, by the way. I love this version of me that I am with you guys. I think I am sharper, smarter, better spoken when I'm talking to you guys. I just really like our dynamic. It just, and because we have this chemistry, because we have this dynamic and we can tell each other stuff and if something feels wrong, we can tell each other, are you sure this is how you think? Because here is this other perspective. And while we are recording, we change our thoughts. We change certain ways of looking at things. This entire process is what I find so amazing about a podcast and why I have, why I think all three of us have continued to do it. It's not because we have a huge listenership. We have had years of oh, getting huge like... Eagles. A huge eagles. <laughs> We just we enjoy talking to each other. I think that's the bottom, like the the final conclusion on on that particular yeah, and thing. That's what I wanted to say too. Is it's the collaborative. So you know, like Saya, you were talking about how writing differs from the audio format, and it's true that it's very different in the ways that you both have described. But it's that collaborate. You know, like writing is so self contained to me as. It's like my own product, you know, like what you were saying, Borma, about a creative product that you made from beginning to end and it's like polished and finished and it's gone through multiple drafts. And you have executive control over it. Exactly. Nobody else can see all the work that you put in. They can just see the perfect. Well, I never feel that it's perfect, but whatever (laughs) I finally have to force myself to put out into the world because I can no longer work on it. That's what people see. But the beauty of this is like the collaborative nature of just, you know, like how it kind of changes. Like we have a plan. So we don't have a script, obviously, but we have a plan of what we're going to talk about each time. It never looks like the plan. You know? <laughs> it never looks exactly yeah. like the plan. Can we you just know, tell we everyone right now that we uh, that before we started, this Barma said, let's get this done in 40 minutes. And now it's one hour and 40 minutes. <laughs> we talked her down from that very uh, unrealistic, wishful thinking and said an hour and I was like, there's no way it'll get to 90 minutes. Uh, so yeah, we were all I, I was I was the closest, though. I said this is going to be at least 90 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, so that that evolution and like, I also feel like I use a different part of my brain for this than I use for my writing. So even though so I don't expect the same level of perfection that I do out of my writing and I'm not I'm not looking for the same type of energy from it either, but it I feel like it has a different and really special energy and I wouldn't be able to give up either one, honestly. And I don't think I would, I prefer one over the other. I just love both of them. And also like, is it to sort of add to what both of you are saying when Borman and I did that first recording and like, we enjoyed talking to each other so much and we really, of course, like we wanted Anissa to be part of this, like immediately and then, like, once you start talking, you're like, this conversation is so interesting. How can we keep it to ourselves? I don't know if that's, like, an overinflated idea of how interesting we are. But, like, that is what I feel a lot of times when we're talking. It's like, this is so interesting. How can how can we just keep this between us when we can share it with other people? That brings me to kind of one of the last things I wanted to mention about this question is that for me, in the beginning, when I started watching dramas... The community aspect was like, I love dramas as a format, as a storytelling method, as a medium, as a category, like whatever you want to call it. I love everything about it, but I don't know if I would have gotten as deep into fandom the way I have if it wasn't for that community aspect that was like a lifeline for me at the time, quite honestly. It was getting me through my days, which were 
99% hellish at that point. So I think for, for me, this is like that epitomized version of the community that I found in K-drama because it's not only the podcast, like we have a chat where we're supposed to talk about podcast things and we do, but we also talk a lot about like, oh my God, I just watched this episode of this show. And then like we instantly react with each other. And, you know, it's it like takes that, you know, initially it was just, you know, we would comment on these online forums and you'd be talking to strangers and then eventually maybe you would become friends with them and you would talk about, you know, but it's not the same as like having this instant conversation anytime with people that you trust and who know you. And that, and yet at the same time, like we are so different in so many ways that we always can bring a lot of really interesting perspectives that sometimes like one of us has something to share that the other two has never experienced or doesn't know because we have a lot of commonalities and we also have differences. And that just, so what you're saying, Saya, about our conversations being interesting, I don't think it's because we're so great. It's because of like each of our perspectives is similar enough yet different enough that it always makes the conversation mm-hmm. um, enriching. Yeah, somehow we learn something. Mm-hmm. Uh, often we are the ones who are learning yeah. something, you know? I, that's sort of what I Many mean times. when I say interesting. It's like I'm getting so much from this conversation with you guys. And I yeah. would... Like what Boromas was saying about us being smarter together. I think that's definitely true. <laughs> Live brain. We are and smarter like, together. I feel, I feel like this is something that none of us have remarked on, but it's happened quite a lot at this point, which is that we often do sort of say the same thing at the same time now. And for me, that's like a milestone of friendship when you start saying <laughs> the same things at the same time. <laughs> I don't know if you guys like pay attention yeah, to yeah, that. Yeah, but, we, like, we definitely yeah. do. We have exactly the same yeah. thoughts in our head and one of us yeah. says it and the other person just goes, I was going to say that. <laughs> yeah, or we text it at the same time sometimes, even in like our chat. But like we'll even in real time, time, we will literally say the same thing in the same tone at the same time. And you're like, oh, uh-huh. like yes. level up. <laughs> we have leveled up, yeah. yeah. We have definitely reached hive mind. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if that's a good thing for the podcast or not. You, it you, y'all remains can tell to be us. seen. Yeah. <laughs> but the fact is that since we have different environments, we live in different countries, our social structures are different and our, our sociopolitical experiences are different. We will always have enough differences to fool this dynamic, no matter how well we get to know each other, because it's... Here's the thing. I have heard so many debates about how real life friends are just that's a totally different thing from internet friends who can never be as amazing as real life I find real life friends Mm. tend to not be in your life for like a lot of things that you need them for because they have their own lives they're not really Mm. real Mm -hmm. life they're not sitting in your pocket you're essentially ending up chatting with them on whatsapp or signal (laughs) it's not because the friendships are built on different foundations isn't it I, I think it's more static because they remember you from your school your college your office something somewhere that mm-hmm. they became friends with you with but it's not a constantly changing thing for, with most real life friendships i love my real life friends i i think they are pillars when i need them so i'm not talking about them being non supportive i'm saying that it's I different find it's different and also i think you guys know me better because we are con- <laughs> Because we are gone. And we know your dogs, too. We know your dogs, too. That, 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 They're like our own family members at this point. So, 
Yeah, yeah, all of that. So you, you, you yeah. no, yeah. I agree. Like the the setting that you meet someone in in real life informs so much of like the setting and the life stage where you meet them informs so much of your relationship. So if you meet somebody in school and then you everybody leaves school, unless you have a really strong connection with that person, you're not gonna be friends with them anymore. And also like some of your friends that you are really close to in college, like university days, when some of you get married and have kids and some of you don't, the ones who get married and have kids often tend to like form their own social group and the single ones, you know, like these things constantly are shifting and it's not like anybody's fault, you know, like that's just life. But there's something about constantly having to make an effort to communicate with someone or you will not know if they're dead or alive that makes us constantly <laughs> keep in touch with each other because there's no other way and for also, us to find out in right? a way they have a like a a non-in-person an online relationship has a level of stability that you actually can't have from your you know when i say like real life in in inverted commas which is not a thing that non-british people say (laughs) so um yeah because the stability of someone always being at the other end of your phone or your email that's actually that level of constancy is very difficult to attain and maintain particularly Mm -hmm. with people that where that is not your primary medium of communication Or if you're in the same community, right? Like there are multiple ways for you to check on that person Mm -hmm. and know how they're doing. And, you know, but like if you can only reach them in this one particular way um, and they are very important to you and you, you know, you really care about them, then you kind of end up talking to them more sometimes. And that's when you end up sending 3 a.m. emails to people saying that if you have a need to know what's going on with me, you can contact these people, these people and these people. Also, give me your emergency contact. Because, yeah. So, basically, we have a high-risk relationship. <laughs> and that keeps our tension up. <laughs> high-risk, high-reward, right? For That's us. correct. <laughs> this is from our economics major. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's the, our fourth year of podcasting. We love That's the scary. medium. That's scary. <laughs> we love the medium. We love the audience that we have built up, the people who listen, but also reach out to us and talk Mainly to us. Mainly we love each other, right? <laughs> but yeah, that's it. We would not have... I don't actually care if this podcast has an audience, if this podcast lasts at the end of the day. If it ends tomorrow, that's fine. What I would not be willing to give up is talking to you guys on a regular basis. That is that is cathartic to me. That is, I need that in my life for so many reasons. Even though most of the time we are just talking about dramas, even that helps. It just helps me. So yeah. I got sappy really fast, but... I hope that's not devaluing our listeners who, who we I do in fact love and care about. I think our listeners would understand when I say that, because if they have listened to us for a while, they know the kind of relationship that we share. And essentially, if the question is, we started as writers. Why did we choose podcasting? For me, I guess the truest answer is for our friendship. Right. Yeah. Right, you know. Yeah. That's deep. It is. Uh, yeah. <laughs> she says sometimes. in her South London best. <laughs> <laughs> That's deep, man. Ah, this was emotionally wrecking. <laughs> <laughs> I did not expect this question I feel to go very here. Sorry. Warm inside I now. Think, yeah. 
Yeah. yeah. It ended up being a tribute to our friendship. So Basically. <laughs> thanks for that, K-Fan Girl. Yeah. And if you guys haven't listened to it, our interview with K-Fan Girl is up on the podcast. Please scroll up the episodes and find it and listen to it because <laughs> it is an amazing episode. So <laughs> thank you for joining us on this mailbag journey, which was a, a much deeper bag than we had anticipated. <laughs> much longer. It's like Hermione's first. Uh, <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> So if you want to continue the conversation, please find us in all of the places we hang out on the internet. So on Twitter, you can find us at Dramas Overflow. And you can follow us individually where I am at Not Now Sire. And I'm at Anissa Khalifa underscore. I, Parma, am at Festa Foster. We are also on Instagram. You can find us at Dramas Overflowers underscore. And you can find us on Facebook. Just look up Dramas Over Flowers. And our website is dramasoverflowers.net, where we do the writing side of our brains <laughs> that we were just talking about. And please also get in touch by email. Our email address is dramasoverflowers at gmail.com. Send us more questions. The more questions you send us, the more we can answer. <laughs> yes, we absolutely treasure every email. Dramas Over Flowers is part of the Frolic Podcast Network. Find more podcasts you'll love at frolic.media slash podcast. Four years of podcasting. Ah, Happy 100 100 episodes, guys. Bye. Bye, Bye, everyone.